Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Reverend Eric Mason. We will get to our question for today in just a moment, but first, some business. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle at Rev Eric Mason or by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims want to know. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. So if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Here is our recap. In our first couple conversations of the new year, we looked at answers to the questions, why are there so many Bible translations? And what do you mean Jesus is the word of God? You and I looked at the revelation of scripture and determined that God has been fully revealed to us through his eternal words as recorded in the Bible. But God's love and example for humanity is fully revealed through the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ as recorded by the biblical authors. You and I also learned that the Bible contains the eternal words of God, which have been preserved for us. However, the Bible is not the uncreated eternal word of God. That title belongs to Lord Jesus Christ. When Christians say, Jesus is the word of God, we need to explain what that means. Now, in one of our previous podcasts, we learned a good analogy to help us better understand why Lord Jesus is the uncreated eternal word of God. And that analogy goes something like this. You don't know my thoughts until they are expressed through my words. But those thoughts exist as a word or image before being spoken out loud. Once spoken, you now have the opportunity to contemplate my thoughts. The more words I share, the more of me is revealed to you. And so it is with God. The uncreated word of God eternally exists. We know him through the words spoken to the prophets and biblical authors. Then, in full self-disclosure, the triune God reveals himself completely in and through the incarnation of Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus is the eternal word of God, spoken into time and space. Now that God has fully revealed his eternal word through his Son, we can all know who God truly is. Now when we say Lord Jesus is the word of God and thus God himself, we are making a Trinitarian claim that requires further explanation. And that brings us to our question for today. We've already covered the topic of the Trinity in several podcasts. 
but people have the tendency to ask the same kind of question just in different ways. Likewise, a question can be answered in different ways. So the question before us today is 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3, not 1. Can you explain the Trinity again? Now if you want to refresh your understanding of the topic of the Trinity, I recommend going back and listening to episode 3, Do Christians Believe in Three Gods or One God? Before we start our time together, let me open our conversation with a brief prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your words and understand and do your will, for we are sojourners upon the earth. Do not hide your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak to us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. Enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not just to cherish those things written, but to seek after you by doing them. Amen. When we talk about the Trinity, I want to remind us that the moment we use human language to describe God, we are using the imperfect to describe the perfect. Henry Nguyen has this to say about this very topic in his book, Spiritual Direction. He writes, Ultimately, we discover that God cannot be understood or grasped by human minds. The full truth of God escapes our human capacities. The only way to come close to it is by a constant emphasis on human limits to have or hold the whole truth. So with that in mind, where do we begin? Well, I think it's good for us to revisit some common ground. Then we can move on from there. The Quran is very clear about why Muslims take a stance against the Trinity. Surah 4, Ayat 171 sums it up well. It reads, So believe in God and his messengers, and do not say three. Refrain, it is better for you. God is only one God. And this is one of those places you and I actually agree. The Bible is also clear that God is one. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, the very first commandment God wrote on the stone tablets given to Moses was this, Do not have any other gods besides me. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Lord Jesus says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Yes, the Bible is clear that God is one. But the Bible is also clear that God is three persons. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-2 through 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. 
Lord Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Lord Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You and I have already had a conversation about how the triune God is the best answer to why anything exists. We've also shared at length how the Trinity is the key to unlocking why Lord Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. But today we'll look at some other aspects of the uniqueness of the triune God. Remember the basic definition of the Trinity? Christians believe that God is one being who eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, co-equal and co-eternal. They have the same nature and attributes and are worthy of the same worship. And now you can ask our question for the day, but one plus one plus one equals three, not one. Is there any other way to understand the Trinity? And this is a great question and a great place for us to start today. Now you've heard me say that a being is what something is. A person is who someone is. So the basic Christian definition of the Trinity is God is one being who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I've also used terms like procession, generation, and begetting to describe the persons of the Trinity. The Father begets or generates the Son, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now because of the limitations of language, it's difficult to describe the Trinity without images and divisions entering into our minds. But God is not divided into three separate beings. He is one. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas writes an analogy about man and God that is quite fitting for our purposes today. In the Shorter Summa, he writes, Man may be regarded under three aspects. That is, man existing in his nature, man visiting in his intellect, and man existing in his love. Yet these three are not one. For man's knowing is not his existing, and the same is true of his loving. Only one of these three is a subsisting thing, namely man existing in his nature. In God, on the contrary, to be, to know, and to love are identical. Therefore, God existing in his natural being, and God existing in the divine intellect, and God existing in the divine love are one thing. Now to better understand the triune God, I'm going to divide the remainder of this podcast into four points. Point number one, the Trinity as explained through cause. Point number two, the Trinity as explained through mental acts. Point number three, 
The Trinity as Explained Through Relationships Point number four, the Trinity as Explained Through the Family Unit Point number one, the Trinity as Explained Through Cause God is uncaused. Nothing precedes God. God is simple and not complex. And how do we know this? Because complexities within things always have a cause. But as I just said, God has no cause. For an example of this, let's take a look at a clock. Now a clock is not simple, it is complex. The hour and the minute hands turn because gears inside of it turn them. The hands are contingent on the gears, and the gears are contingent on a source of power. Now, God is not complex, and yet he is three. But how can this be? Well, it's because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are uncaused. They have always been. And because they've always been, they are not caused, and therefore, they're not complex. It's probably still pretty confusing. But we have to remember Henry Nguyen's quote, Ultimately, we discover that God cannot be understood or grasped by the human mind. The full truth of God escapes our human capacities. The only way to come close to it is by a constant emphasis on human limits to have or hold the whole truth. Now, can the Bible shed some light on this? Sure it can. Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 through 14. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, the Hebrew here for I am is Yahweh. John chapter 8, verse 58, Lord Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. The Greek for I am is ego eimi. I am. Yahweh. Ego eimi. These are both moments in the Bible in which we see the essence of God defined not by a noun, but by a verb. God is the sheer act of to be. But these verses from the Bible reveal to us that there's something dynamic and mysterious about God. For God to reveal himself to Moses and through Lord Jesus as the great I am means for us that he's always been, that he always is, and always will be. He is uncaused. Point number two. The Trinity as explained through mental acts. Because God is all-knowing, as he contemplates himself, he does so perfectly. At the same time, a word is formed. This word is the exact imprint of God as he contemplates himself. This word exists within God, but is at the same time separate from him. And yet, 
because the Word is his exact and complete imprint, the Word is God. This Word is begotten or generated from God, and as such the Word of God, which is the exact expression of God's nature, is the Son of God, who is Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Because God is all good, as God contemplates himself, he is necessarily drawn to the perfect goodness of himself in his word. And in this way, he falls in love with his word. Likewise, the word contemplates God and reflects that love. Lover is drawn to the beloved, and the love shared between them becomes yet an other within God. And this other is the Holy Spirit. Now we have to remember, this language is imperfect. And it sounds like we're making God into a being whose persons are the result of cause and effect. But this is not the case with God. The one God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This means contemplation, formation, begetting, and procession occur simultaneously and eternally, not in a sequence of time. Point number three, the Trinity as explained through relationships. When we understand the relationships between the three persons of God, we're able to gain a more rounded understanding of the Trinity. Christians talk about God the Father and God the Son, the first two persons of the Trinity, and this is the first relationship within the one true God. A father cannot be a father without having a relationship to a child. Likewise, the Son cannot be a son without relationship to a parent. And the relationship shared between the Father and Son is the Holy Spirit. Fun Fact in the mid-13th century, St. Thomas Aquinas helped put terminology to the relationships between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In his massive work titled the Summa Theologica, or the Summary of Theology, St. Thomas Aquinas describes a relationship of the Father to the Son as a paternal relationship. The relationship of the Son to the Father as filiation, and the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as spiration. Thanks, Aquinas. Now, when we think about relationships, we understand relationships as having a cause. But again, God is uncaused. As such, the relations which exist between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit must also be uncaused, because the nature of the triune God is the very substance of God. Point number four, the Trinity as explained through the family unit. There are several aspects of humanity's unique design we have discussed in previous podcasts. Like the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, humans were designed to receive love from God, to image that love back to Him, and to express that love outward toward each other and creation. We were also created with the ability to contemplate God as well as our own existence. Now let's add a further understanding of our uniqueness. The family unit 
is a unique expression of the triune nature of God. Families are not perfect by any means, and that's a result of our sin condition. But the family unit is a great expression and model of the Trinity in this world. Families can be described as a single unit comprising of multiple persons. The individual members or persons of the family are often described by their relationships with the other members. The family is also the result of the mutual self-giving love between father and mother and the child which is born from that love. We have been created in the image of God. This is often referred to as the Imago Dei in Christian theology. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Now, the first thing to note in this biblical passage is the fact that God uses the plural when referring to himself. Let us make man in our image. Now, he's not referring to himself along with the angels or other created beings. Instead, the us and the our refers to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if the family unit is an expression and model of the Trinity, how are we separate from animals, which can also reproduce? The short answer to that is a mutual self-giving love. Now I've shared before that God is love. And this isn't some attribute tagged on to God. He is love. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, to love is to will the good of the other. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the love shared between Father and Son. Because love so overflows from Father to Son, the Father expresses his affection toward the Son by freely creating everything through and for the Son. The Son becomes the blueprint for all creation, and the Holy Spirit is the one who breathes life into all of creation. Likewise, man and woman meet. They fall in love with each other and decide to get married, lover and beloved. And the result of this shared love between husband and wife, a child. This child is the result of the chromosomes of both parents coming together. The union of husband and wife becomes the blueprint for this new creation. And this whole process is overseen by God. Now the Trinity finds expression even in husbands and wives who desire children but can't have them. See, they are designed to want to give mutual self-giving love to an other through guardianship and through adoption. And to me this makes sense. In a way, God views all of us as his children, but those who believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Lord Jesus are drawn into the life of the Trinity through adoption in Christ. We are all God's children, 
separated from him because sin entered this world. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This was done to reconcile us to him, to redeem us and to glorify us, but ultimately to make us sons and daughters of adoption. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the Beloved One. Now, as you and I come to the end of this conversation, maybe you're thinking, I can't believe in the Trinity because Jesus is not God, plain and simple. Where in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God, worship me? And that is a great place for us to stop, as I will be answering that very question in the next episode of Muslims Want to Know. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I hope and pray that as you continue to seek God, you ask for visions and clarity on all these things and all of these Christian claims. If you want some resources for further study, I encourage you to take a look at the Shorter Summa by St. Thomas Aquinas, the Trinity by St. Augustine, Confessions by St. Augustine, The Divine Dance by Richard Rohr, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, and Henry Nouwen's book, Spiritual Direction, as well as various articles on Christianity.com and Wikipedia. As always, the Bible translation I use is the Christian Standard Bible. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? Doing so helps this podcast come up as a recommendation for folks like yourself. As always, if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show, or want me to elaborate a bit more on a point I made, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle, at Rev Eric Mason, or by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims Want to Know. I will do my best to answer those questions in future podcasts. I also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or coworker and ask them about the things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you didn't know before, research it or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. Well, once again, I want to thank you for joining me for this conversation in our recording studio at the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless. <laughs>